Last week, if you were here, we started in Matthew 16, looked at the first uh, four verses of that. We looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees as they were arguing with Jesus. They were seeking a sign from heaven. Uh, The sign from heaven was their prescribed sign. It wasn't a sign that Jesus had already shown them all these miracles. It was what they thought Jesus should show them. They were coming to Jesus uh, already knowing that they didn't believe in him. And so we talked about repentance and how they were never going to repent or change their way of thinking. Um, and that was holding them back from believing in Jesus. They, uh, they were not willing to see Jesus for who he was. And so we don't want to be afraid to come to Jesus and ask for something. The Pharisees asked Jesus for something, but it was out of a pretentious heart. Uh, we see Thomas in the Bible asking Jesus for something, and Jesus gives it to him. And it pushes him towards belief. And so we do want to do that as a church, as individuals, as people growing in our faith of God. Talk to God. Ask God. Seek him. He'll give you answers. Um, when you actually seek them. So we're going to continue in verses 7, uh, or sorry, verses 5 to 12 this week, uh, looking more at the Pharisees and the Sadducees a little bit. So uh, let's get to those verses. Please stand with me uh, to read the Word of God. We stand for a couple reasons. One, to stretch out. That's actually not one of the reasons why we stand. Hopefully you do know the reasons. We stand because it's a sign of God moving in and through us. And it's also a sign of uh, these words being holy. We do uh, reverence these words that God has given us. So we stand as we read the word of God. Uh, starting in verse 5, chapter 16 of Matthew. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, we thank you for this time that we have to come together as a body of believers, a chance for us to grow in our faith personally, but also to encourage each other, our neighbors sitting next to us. And um, in this time, God, that we can set apart to worship you corporately through song, through the reading of your word, through the learning of scripture. God, I pray that you will move in our hearts, you'll soften our hearts, even now, as we look at your word. Thank you for meeting us this morning. We love you, and we praise you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Uh, So this week was a good reminder for me that I am uh, not very good at life sometimes. Actually, I'm pretty bad at life sometimes. If anybody knows me or keeps in touch with me uh, throughout the weeks, you might have realized that uh, you might have thought I was on vacation this past week. I wasn't on vacation. I wasn't just ignoring people purposefully. I was, I guess, busy working. I don't know, but I just forgot things. I would hear a beep of a text message on my cell phone and I was... I was in the office, so I didn't check it, or maybe I was at lunch with people, so I didn't check it, or I was playing blindfold dodgeball with campers, um, which is really fun, partner blindfold dodgeball. We should do it at Edgewater sometime. Um, Good game, but either way, I'd hear this beep, and and I'd forget about it, and then 35 text messages on my phone later, I still haven't replied to anybody, and my friends, I was getting in touch with them days later. I was replying to a text days later. Um, It wasn't good, and, and I'm telling you that this morning more of confession than anything else. I don't think it's a good thing to forget. 
Um, and I'm not looking for a pity party. I don't want you to be like, oh, no, it's, it's okay. I do that all the time. I forget too. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And um, I'm okay with you saying don't worry about it if you're forgiving me, if you're saying I forgive you for that. But it's not okay, I don't think. I think forgetfulness is, uh, is a sign of sin. I think forgetfulness is sin. And, and I think my forgetfulness this past week was not a good thing. And so I want to confess of that. And the reason that you can't say it's okay, that you can forgive me of it, is because God's grace covers us of this. God's grace covers our sin of forgetfulness. We might forget things a lot, maybe often, all the time. I don't think it's normal. I don't think it's right. I think it's evidence of sin in the world. And even if you look at uh, not just the memory, but even the physical um, forgetfulness that comes, maybe from dementia or Alzheimer's. If you've ever known somebody uh, to die of that, it can be very difficult. It can be very hard to see somebody that you know that is no longer able to recognize you. And, uh, and that's not easy. And I think it is a good, uh, not good, I think it's an obvious sign that forgetfulness can be um, is sin. And I think that when we are in heaven someday, we will not forget. I don't think it'll be around anymore. I think that will be cleansed from us. And so as I stand here confessing that I'm not good, I'm simultaneously comforted by the scripture that we're looking at this morning. I'm not using the scripture as an excuse, but, um, but I do realize that from this, people forget things. And God's grace covers that. So verse 5 here tells that the disciples forgot the bread. The disciples, these people that Jesus hand-picked to follow him, they were Oh, so far from perfect. We've seen this time and time again, and we see it here. And, and I like it because it shows us, the Bible is showing us that people are imperfect. Even those that God chooses are imperfect. It's not only in Matthew 16, 5. There's plenty of other biblical characters doing the same thing. We talked about it last week with Abraham. Abraham, who was promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars, forgets that and instead sleeps with his wife's, um, with his wife's servant has a child there because he forgets the promise of God. Isaac, his son, ends up lying to save his wife Rebecca's skin, which Abraham had lied for the same thing earlier. Jacob is a con artist and a liar. You flip through the book of the Bible and you see Moses. He commits murder. Um, that's not very good. Samson tells Jezebel a secret, gives in to her time and time again. We've got David committing adultery. Job tells God that he's unfair. We have Jonah, bitter, that God saves Nineveh and Um, Even John the Baptist, he doubted before he died, right before his death, he doubted. And so these are all examples of God's chosen people, those people that know God, love God, that God chose, that they are not remembering who God is, and they're messing up. And we can relate to that. We can find comfort in that, knowing that God has shown us grace through those things. Because we also see that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, We see that Isaac was obedient and he reopened the wells of his father. We see Jacob removed all the foreign gods so that his family would worship the one true God. Uh, We see David killing Goliath. That was a pretty good feat for the Israelites. Job renewed his promise and love and devotion to God. Jonah did save an entire city. And John the Baptist is called the greatest man to walk the earth. Greatest man. So what's that about? The same people that fall and stumble are the same people that we see God using time and time again. So if you think God can't use you, I'm going to call you crazy. If you think God shouldn't use you, that's not necessarily a bad thing. As long as in that same breath, you're realizing the reason God shouldn't use you is not a reason why God will not use you. 
Just because we are sinners and we don't deserve to be used by God doesn't mean he won't use us because he will. We see it time and time again. He'll use us because we are righteous through Jesus Christ. He'll use us anyway. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So even though we're sinners, we are righteous through Jesus. We're made righteous, not because of what we do or don't do. It's because of what Jesus did. That's why he will use us. That's why we can see the disciples here forgetting the bread. We can relate to that. We can put ourselves in their shoes and learn from it. Learn that I don't want to forget, but God, God's grace covers it when I do. He covers the fact that I still have probably 27 unread messages in my phone. I need to do this. Okay, I need to make this happen. I need to finally get to these messages that I keep forgetting about or putting away. But it is a lot more encouraging for me to do that when I know that God is on my side. God's in my corner, and he's not going to be disappointed in me, which he won't be disappointed in you. He already knows you're imperfect, um, and he'll use you anyway. So he's not just going also. God is not just going to help those that help themselves. So I'm not telling you, as long as I try harder and te- check my text more, then he'll help me. God only helps those that help themselves. That's uh, maybe attributed to um, Ben Franklin as much as anybody. It's an old Greek proverb. Um, but the deist Ben Franklin talked about this a lot. It's not biblical. God helps those that help themselves. 75% of Americans thought that that was actually in the Bible in a survey. Not a survey I took. But God doesn't help you just because you try harder, American, Clevelander. It's not how it works. It's not what the Bible says. Your life won't get easier just because you try harder, It might get easier if you try harder, and you can give God all the praise for that, but it might not get easier if you try harder, and you still have to give God all the praise for that. That's how it works. It's in the Bible. Luke 12, 22, we see Jesus saying to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You can't add time to your life by worrying. So you don't want to worry about this forgetfulness. God's grace covers that. You don't want to worry about that bill that you still have to pay or be anxious about that deadline at work you forgot about or all those missed calls on your phone. Confess it to God. Okay, it's because of what God did, not because of what we do. Confess that sin to God and give it to him. We see this forgetfulness is covered by God's grace in verse 5. Verse 6, Jesus warns the disciples of the leaven of the yeast, which is in the bread of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Verse 7, they freak out. They start discussing this amongst themselves, that they forgot the bread. They thought Jesus was talking about the leaven, was reprimanding them for forgetting the physical bread. So they discuss it amongst themselves. Mark 8, 16 reiterates the same thing. Um, Mark has the same passage there. And uh, Except in verse 14, he actually starts this story, Mark does, by saying that they had a loaf in the boat. So they did have a loaf of bread, even though it also says that they didn't have any. So either the boat was too far away, so they just didn't want to go back for it, or it was too soggy, or they just thought Jesus could only perform miracles with a minimum of five loaves of bread, as they've seen five and seven now. So this is where we find ourselves often, though, not only forgetting our bread, but forgetting that... God provides it to us anyway, and he's powerful. We forget that God is our ultimate provision. And if we're at work wanting to talk to somebody about Jesus, and we realize that, oh, I forgot the Bible verse I wanted to memorize, or I forgot what 
we talked about at church, or I forgot to bring that book that had that quote that I really wanted to share with them. It doesn't matter. God's power is better than that. If you forgot the bread, it's okay. God will give you more. This is living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit living, I've said this before. Again, Holy Spirit living is stepping out in faith and leaving the results up to God. So that's what we want to do. Let's do it. Don't worry if you forget the bread. Just don't forget you still have the power of the Holy Spirit with you. Verse 8, Jesus, aware of their bickering, he asked them, You of little faith, why are you discussing amongst yourselves the fact that you have no bread? You of little faith, he's calling his disciples. He's not telling them that they have no faith. Somebody with no faith has no forgiveness of sins. Because if you don't have faith, then you don't believe that Jesus is Lord, which, which means that you haven't realized that you're living in sin, or you've realized your depravity and sin, and you just don't care. You're not going to change it anyway. You still want to live in your sin. And so you haven't made Jesus your Lord, which means you don't have forgiveness of sins because you don't have faith. That's what it means to have no faith. It's not that they have no faith. They have little faith. You have little faith. We saw this uh, three, maybe four weeks ago now, Matthew 14, 31, when, G- when Jesus reaches out his hand to the drowning Peter. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And Peter isn't faithless, even still. Um, he is not faithless. And next week we will talk about maybe the crux of the entire book of Matthew um, through Peter's confession. But, uh, but this week what we're talking about right now, in regards of little faith, it's not that they have no forgiveness. It's just that they need to be reminded time and time again of the forgiveness that they have. You constantly come back to God for the same thing over and over because you have little faith. And sometimes this happens. It's not where Jesus wants us to be. He wants us to break that cycle, to have greater faith, not little faith. We want to pray for greater faith. Luke 17, 5 and 6, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So pray for faith. Ask for it. And what will God tell you? You just need a little bit. Pray for that. If you are in this cycle where you're constantly, oh, ye of little faith, constantly going back, being reminded of the same thing over and over and over, know the faith that you have. It's a lot bigger than you think. Pray for that. Matthew 7 tells us to ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be open. Pray for these things. Pray for faith. It's important. Verses 9 and 10. Jesus continues here. Do you not perceive, remember the miracles of the loaves, of the feeding of the masses, and how much you had left over? Verse 11, Jesus reminds us that that's not even what he's talking about anyway. He brings up the miracles, but that's still the bread. It's not what he's talking about. This is paralleled in Mark. Let's look at um, Mark's version here, 8, 17 to 21. And Jesus, where this, said to them, it's the same story, so from a different perspective, a couple different things. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said seven. And he said, do you not yet understand? And that's how his account ends, with that rhetorical question. Do you still not understand? And it's done. We get a little more from Matthew's account here. But something that we see here that I want to look at, it's... Something a little bigger. Don't worry about the physical body. Worry about your soul. Jesus wants them to worry about their soul. It's not the bread. You're missing the picture here. Why do you not understand that it's not about the bread? Why don't you get it? Jesus asked in verse 17. And he says, are your hearts hardened? That's the question. Are your hearts hardened? 
It's important to ask yourself this morning, if you have a hardened heart, what does it mean? What does it even mean to have a hardened heart? We know the outcome of a hardened heart, blind eyes, deaf ears, a forgetful mind that can't understand, can't remember, retain anything, the spiritual senses that we talked about a few weeks ago. These are all coming from having a hardened heart. So the disciples are here, they're stuck on the physical bread, and they forgot because their hearts are hardened. They didn't understand because their hearts are hardened. We see this phrase used in other parts of the Bible as well. John quotes and I, um, quotes from Isaiah in John twelve forty, says he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So who is this that's blinding their eyes? Who is this that's hardening their heart? He, so God is hardening people's heart so they can't find him? That seems a little strange. Why would God, my loving God, why would, why would he do that? Romans eleven seven. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Maybe we've heard this. If you've grown up in church before, a youth group, you probably talked about this for hours on end. Elect. What does it mean the elect obtained it? Why are we talking about the, the elect right now? That's a little controversial, I think. Romans eleven seven says this, though. So what does the hardened heart come from? The elect got it. The rest were hardened by God. Again, I don't get it. I don't like it. In my mind, that's not fair. Maybe 2 Corinthians 3, 12 to 8. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. We, saw, we see this from the Pharisees and Sadducees. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We find freedom in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Again, we see this, the hardening of heart. It is for Jesus, it is for God to soften somebody's heart. And it's still it's a hard concept to grasp. And we can ask many rhetorical questions. And it took me to Romans 9. Um, this is my game time decision. We have to be out of here by a certain time. But we're going to read it anyway. Because I can't paraphrase this. I can't pick a couple verses to read. I just think this is exactly what we want to hear this morning in terms of a hardened heart and where it leaves us as believers and what we can teach other people when we leave from here. Romans 9. We're going to go ahead and do it, Brian. We're going to read the entire chapter. God's sovereign choice. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. We're looking at truth here, not false teachings. This is Paul writing. Speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them, right, the Pharisees, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. They're thinking Jesus coming, that what they've learned is all wrong now. That's not that. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. 
And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise, those who God calls, are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, neither good nor bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall then we say? Here's a rhetorical question I couldn't ask better myself. Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I shall have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It's not what you do, it's what God does. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? Another good question. I couldn't word it better myself. For who can resist the will? But who are you, man, to answer back to God? Well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? One for good, one for bad. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. It's not easy. Endured with much, much patience these vessels of wrath in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed, he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people, the Gentiles, us. We weren't born in that family, but we are now his people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. So then, what do we say? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not not succeed in reaching the law. This is what we're seeing as the Pharisees and Sadducees come to Jesus right now. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus offends people, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So it's better than me trying to decide what is the heart of God. (laughs) Better than me thinking what is good, what is bad, what is right or wrong, what is just or unjust. Better than me trying to figure that out. I'm just going to take my answer from the word of God, from scripture. You just read an entire chapter of the Bible at church. I'm sorry, I know you didn't want to. Hopefully this motivates us to prayer though. Maybe even fasting if that's what God's calling you to. To soften your own heart or maybe somebody that you know. I can safely say that it's only because of God's grace that I know him. 
And if you can say the same thing, you should thank him too. It's God's grace that you've done this, not by works, so that nobody can boast, Ephesians 2. Thank God your heart has been softened. And pray for those that have not had a softened heart, that theirs might be, so that we can both pursue Christ together. It's not that I need them to come where I am. No, we're both going to God together, and I want you to come along. Pray for those that don't have a softened heart yet. Why is that important? This is the gospel. This whole Romans, this is the gospel. This is what it's about. This is what Jesus came to tell us that we're all sinners. We're not perfect. We want more, and we're only going to find it in Jesus. It's not about physical bread anyway. Remember verse 11. How is it you fail to understand that I didn't speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Leaven, just as we talked about uh, the week before I started here, um, the last thing Jason taught on, Matthew thirteen thirty three. the kingdom of God is like leaven. Put it in dough, it rises and spreads. The, the baker put it in the dough. So we saw in that that leaven was used to describe the kingdom of God starting from these small, humble beginnings and growing. And so here again, we see it used, leaven, as starting small but growing and continuing to grow, and it's not good this time. The leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees is a really small thing. It seems small. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but there is a small error in what they think, and it will kill your soul. So Jesus says, beware. What is the error? What is the heresy? What is it that they're teaching that warrants this warning for my soul? The Pharisees that we talked about last week, they are self-righteous people. They believe that they can do things. They can follow religious rituals and rules and that doing things will make them good in the sight of God. They're teaching people that knowing God is all about self-help. If you help yourself, then God will help you. That's what they're teaching. And we see it today sometimes. If you start tithing, then God will give you magical amounts of money. If you buy this thing, God will give you more money. If you start coming to church, you won't have any health problems. If you read your Bible, God will make you rich and healthy. The health and wealth gospel, this is all self-righteous. It's as if you control your destiny, but you don't. That's the self-righteous attitude. It's not always that obvious either. A false teaching of self-righteousness is very small. Any teaching that tells you that you can attain righteousness based on what you do for God is wrong. We attain righteousness, like we said earlier, only because of what God did for us. By his stripes, we're healed. I made righteous because I believe in Jesus. I've confessed his lordship over my life. And I'm saved. His grace covers all my wrongs. He has sent my sin as far as east is from the west. He's done that for you too. If you've given your life to Jesus. If you know that your righteousness comes from him and not yourself. Jesus came. He is the propitiation for our sin. He took our place. So therefore, I'm righteous in God. So what about the teaching of the Sadducees? What's their error? Based on what we talked about last week with the Sadducees, it's not self-righteousness that they think or feel. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in an immortal soul. They don't think there's anything after this life. Isn't that crazy? What people used to think back then. They used to think people didn't think there was anything after this life back then. Weird. Since they believe that, what do they say you should do? Just live it up on earth. Everything that you can, instant gratification, whatever is thrown in front of you, go do it. Take it, because there's nothing after this anyway. Thank God people don't do that now. At least there aren't people in Cleveland that moved here or grew up here or live here now that are just seeking their own selfish desires or their own pleasures. Being a little facetious, 
obviously. That is around. That leaven has been around since Jesus warned us. It's the exact same thing. It has grown, and it's everywhere, and it's creeping everywhere you go, even in your own life. You have to combat this every single day, these two things. Self-righteousness, we have to combat. And the fact that there is something after this, we have to combat. We don't just live for the now. Verse 12, they understood. They didn't just hear, they understood. Jesus softened their hearts by telling them what he meant. At first, they didn't understand. So why did they not understand what he was saying? Because their hearts were hardened, Jesus said. Now by the end, they understand. So that must mean their hearts are no longer hardened. Their hearts are softened. What happened? How did their hearts all of a sudden get softened in this time? Jesus did not go massage their heart. He just gave them the word of God. He was speaking to them. So do you want your heart softened? Do you want to grow in your faith of God? Do you want to see somebody else's heart softened? Then hear, listen, learn from the word of God. This is where it starts. Get other people into the word of God. Just talking this morning, found out that somebody's doing a Bible study with somebody that hasn't studied the Bible before. That's amazing. They're not a Christian. They don't profess Jesus as Lord. But that's okay. They're studying the word of God. The Bible has power. And so just the way that Jesus softened their heart through giving them words, our hearts are softened through the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. We ended last week with Romans ten fourteen and 15. We'll end with ten seventeen this week. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We need to hear the words of Christ. And it's all right here. We have it all right here, right now. Just talking a little bit this morning, we've talked about it here before, the idea of prophets. Back in the day, prophets shared the word of God as, G, as God told them to say. Now we have all the word of God right here. So if you have a gift of prophecy, you're probably really good at telling other people what this says. You can apply it to their lives. You can tell it to them right when they need to hear it. I don't know if prophecy is one of my spiritual gifts. It's not one of my top three If you become a member, you will take that, and we encourage you to take that so we can see how you fit into the church. But if prophecy is, then you are sharing, you are good at sharing the word of God with somebody to meet them where they are. God's words are important. And if you can't share with somebody else, at least get in it yourself. We need to be in the word. An application. Remember that we forget, but don't be anxious about that forgetfulness. The grace of God covers that. He covers that. Pray for a softened heart so that you can see, hear, and understand what Jesus is telling you. Get into the Bible. Just said it again. Get into the Bible. By yourself, with other people, yes and yes. All of them. Finally, beware of the leaven. The world tells us that we can make ourselves good people through self-righteousness. The world tells us that we can do things ourselves to cleanse ourselves. And that's not how it works. The world tells us we should just live it up with what you have. That's not it. That's not the gospel. Jesus did it all, and we should rely on him for our salvation. Not only for our salvation, but also for our everyday actions, everything that happens in our lives. We live for Jesus now, not only for the perfect heaven that we have later, but for what he gives us now, for an understanding in life at this very moment. We need to remember these things. Don't be anxious. God's grace covers that. Praise for a softened heart, get into the word, and beware of the leaven, the false teachings that creep up in our lives every day. I'd like to close this in prayer this morning as we go out. Um, Before we pray as a church, though, uh, 
before we do that, I would like to um, pray for some specific people this morning uh, that are going to be leaving, uh, leaving the city. So, uh, Michael, I didn't tell you I was going to do this beforehand. Um, but there are, there are three people um, from our church here that are moving away uh, this week. So this is their last weekend here. Only one of the three is actually here, and that's Michael. Um, Nithya is also moving away. Um, and finally, Boyd is, is moving out as well. So Nithya and Boyd couldn't be here this morning. Uh, but Michael is here. And, uh, and guys, you have been um, an encouragement to people. And, and I know Brian knows you guys uh, very well, as you've been, Michael especially, been very involved with growth groups. And so, Brian, um, I would just ask you to share a little bit about, um, share a little bit about these, these three and just how you've seen them help out um, maybe your own walk and how you've seen them carrying out uh, God's call on their life. And so, Michael, if you wouldn't mind just coming up here as we pray you out as a church. And uh, we'll imagine Nithya and Boyd are next to you. Um, and uh, Brian, come on up if you could as well. 